Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Also, it's true that if you look at your entire New Testament, um, well, not the whole thing, but, you know, Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, you know what these letters were written to? Churches, local churches, right? So even the Bible itself uh, was written to local churches. It's important to gather with saints. It's important for iron to sharpen iron for us to encourage one another in the word of God. And so if you have a friend that doesn't know Christ, or you have a friend that's not part of a local church, we want them to come and be with us here two weeks from today um, on Friend Day. Everybody say Friend Day. Here's the thing. If you know God, you will find freedom. If you know God, you will find freedom. And we want people to be coming in to FHOP here in two weeks so they can know God and they can find freedom. In 1 Samuel, you don't have to turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 18, um, we have this story of two guys you might know, David and Jonathan. Now, real quick, some context. Uh, Jonathan is the son of the king, King Saul. Anybody ever heard of King Saul? He wasn't a very good king. He did some bad stuff. He did some shady stuff. You guys think we have bad political leaders today. You think... No Christians live through the kind of political turmoil that we're living through today. Y'all, the division in our country is just so fierce. It is, and it is the enemy. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not trying to make light of it, okay? But ladies and gentlemen, we have brothers and sisters in Christ in the world today that live in countries with way more political turmoil and animosity towards them as believers in Jesus Christ than we do here in America today. Our brothers and sisters in China come to mind. Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan this morning come to mind. These people are being persecuted because of their love and their dedication to live their life for our Savior and Lord. Saul was a bad king. I got on a tangent. I apologize. Saul was a bad king. He had a son who should have been next in line for the throne. His name was Jonathan. Say Jonathan. This other guy got anointed king. His name was David. You probably heard of him. He's the guy that killed the giant. David was next in line to be king because he was anointed to be king. Jonathan was next in line to be king because his dad was the king. These two guys should hate each other. And yet, we see in 1 Samuel, sorry, chapter 18, in verse 3, it says that Jonathan ends up making a covenant with David. It says, because he loved David as he loved his own soul. That sounds really familiar. Sounds like something that Jesus told us to do. Someone asked Jesus once, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said this, it's to love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength, right? And then he says, and what? To love your neighbor... How? As yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. 
this, this is crazy. I, can I read part of this to you? One day David goes in. He's with Saul, the king. And Saul knows that David's supposed to be the next king. But he doesn't like it. Listen to this, verse 10. It says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, which that's weird. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. So he was like sitting there playing the guitar. And Saul's just like raving around the house in a bad mood. Um, it says, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. This is the part that gets me. But David evaded him twice. And I'm just thinking, twice? Like, like, fool me once. Shame on you fool me twice. What's going on here? Like, I think if someone's going to throw a spear at me the first time, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I don't want to be around you anymore. Twice. Twice this happens. Um, what happens is we see in ver uh, 1 Samuel chapter 19, it says that Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan... Saul's son delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, Saul, my father wants to kill you, therefore be on your guard. You might want to hide yourself. Thank you, sir. This is not a good situation. What's crazy, you fast forward another chapter, and they're having this feast, and David's supposed to be at the feast with Saul and the rest of the king's family. Like, he's... He's just missing, though. He's like, you know what, David? Maybe you shouldn't come to the feast. And they're like, maybe it'll upset Saul. And they come up with this really weird plan. He's like, David, I want, let's, let's see if Saul hates you. Which, to me, I think we've established that Saul hates David. One, because of the spear-throwing thing. And two, because Saul's been like, hey, I'd really like to kill David. And so they're like, let's come up with a plan to see if Saul really hates you, David. And so they come to this plan that we're going to have a feast. And when Saul sees that David's seat is empty, if he gets angry about it, then Jonathan's like, I'm going to send you a secret message to let you know that my dad wants to kill you. And so they go through this whole thing and Saul sees that the seat is empty at the feast. And what does Saul do? He goes crazy irate, right? And Jonathan's like, man, I think he wants to kill David. So he sends David this secret message saying, hey, you might not want to come back here. I think my dad's trying to kill you. It just blows my mind. That's in chapter 20. It blows my mind because what had happened was to Jonathan, like Jonathan's hope that was David could be, come back and be a part of the family. Jonathan's hope was that David could come back and be part of the house. Well, it's obvious to us when we read the story that David wasn't welcome. But from Jonathan's perspective, there was this thing that he was hanging on to that just maybe my dad will get his mind straight and David will be welcome back in the home again. 
And I think part of it was because Jonathan loved David like he loved his own soul. And when they finally had to separate and go their separate ways, it says they just wept bitterly. They, they were crushed. You ever said goodbye to someone and it just crushed you? It hurts. There's some people when you say goodbye to, you're like, <laughs> see ya. On the last day of church camp sometimes, guys. Some of those teenagers, they come up to you and they're hugging you. We're going to miss you so much. It's been so much fun hanging out with you all summer. And you're just like, I'm going to miss you too. I just want to sleep, y'all. I just want to sleep. You guys know it's true. You're laughing. You know it's true, right? There's some people you don't, you're not so sad to see them go. Um, but there's some people that when they leave, it hurts. It hurts. And this was the relationship of David and Jonathan. If you were to flip back just a book backwards to Ruth, if you will. There's this story of, it's the story of Ruth and, and the short version, there's this mother. She has a husband and two sons and these two sons get married. And they're living off in this foreign land. The husband dies. He's gone. The two sons die. They're gone. And now it's just this woman and her two daughters-in-law. And she tells them, look, you guys just go back to your homes. And I'm going to go back to my homeland and they're like, no, we're going to stay with you. We're going to stay with you. And she's like, no, like, why would you stay with me? I, I, I don't think I can have any more kids. And it's really funny. You'll read it. She actually says, it's like, even if I could have a baby today, like a son today, are you going to wait around until he gets old enough for you can marry, so you can marry him? Like, it was just like just the weirdest thing. Like, there's a lot of sarcasm in the Bible that people don't realize it's in there. She's like, even if I have a kid today, you're not going to be able to wait around and marry him. That's weird. Go home. So one of them goes home, but the other one, her name is Ruth. She actually says in verse 16, she says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For you, where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And, and it says when Naomi, that's the mother, I saw that she was determined to go with her. She said, no more. Like, there's this tenacity in her spirit, like, you are, uh, our lives are going to be together. I will not leave you. And I, I reach back into this, it's kind of the same David and Jonathan kind of relationship is like, we are going to do this together. It goes back to that Proverbs that says, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And as I, as I think about friend day coming up, I think maybe some of us might have some friends that we're close with um, that don't know Christ or that maybe don't have a church home. And you know what gets me even more is that 
You're like, man, I don't have a friend like that. I, I wonder if your friend is out there in the world this morning. They just haven't met Christ yet. How many know we all need Jesus? That even if you don't have that kind of friend, either this morning, that Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus. And if I was to go across this room this morning to those of you who serve Jesus with all your heart, you could probably tell of moments in your life where you felt alone, like you felt like you had no friend, and you called on the Lord, and he answered you, and he gave you hope in the middle of a hopeless situation. In fact, there's many of you who have no business sitting in this room this morning because your life was so jacked up and wrong, and then Jesus stepped in and changed everything and became that friend, became that hope, became that peace, that you could never find in all the things in the world that you were looking for. See, when I read that passage that says a, a man with many companions may come to ruin, it makes me think sometimes our many companions isn't just different people. Sometimes it's the different things in the world we try to grab on to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Sometimes it's simple things like, like Netflix and video games and social media, whatever. Sometimes it's other things like adulterous relationships or drugs or alcohol or whatever. These are our companions that we, like, hey, you guys, let's hang out so I can feel better. Just numb the pain that's inside of me. Some of that was us. Some of us have a fake friend in religion, like trying to seem spiritual or be spiritual Guys, religion is never a friend that will be nice to you. It's simply legalism that will beat you up every step of the way. When you're close with the rules but have no relationship with the Creator, that's a miserable way to live. That's a... a harsh way of life, and we see that sometimes in ourselves, we see that sometimes in others. Go with me to Acts. Let me, let me throw a couple scenarios at you. Scenario one, here's Jonathan and David. Jonathan says, you know, or Saul's freaking out because the seat's empty at the feast or whatever, and he's like, I'm going to kill that David guy. And so Jonathan hears it, and he's going to send a secret message to David. And instead of being like, hey, stay away, he's like, hey, come hang out. Like, I'm inviting you into danger. But he doesn't tell David he's in danger. He's like, hey, you're fine. Come on. I mean, that's a bad friend. Like, it would be a bad friend if 
if up here we have twin bridges, all these curves around here. If the bridge is out up here around the corner and I drive up there and I see the bridge is out and I'm like, huh, that's funny, the bridge is out. So I turn around and as I go back, I see you guys just 90 miles an hour, some of you, shouldn't drive 90 miles an hour, towards that bridge and I don't even wave. I'm like, they're about, they're, it's going to be rough for them up ahead. Like, can you imagine, you know, a hurricane's about to hit Louisiana again. And what if you were the guy sitting in the radar room, the meteorologist, and you got your computer and you're looking at everything and you see it like, oh, man, there's a hurricane coming. And you just look at it and you just power off your computer, stand up and quietly walk out of the room. Don't sound the alarm. Don't tell anybody. What kind of friend is that? What kind of person is that? Y'all, that's immoral. I don't think there's one of us who'd be like, no, that's right. Well, you know, it's fine. It's fine. On the flip side, I'll, I'll say this. The other day we went to Whitewater. And I think if you brought is if you brought a bottle of Coke, you could save five bucks per person. You get enough people going, that's a lot of money. Up to six people? Oh. How'd you how'd you figure that out? <laughs> you know what? I was a little annoyed that I didn't find that information out very soon. I went there and I paid my money for my three girls and I was like, you know, if I'd have just known a little sooner, I gotta save some money on some uh some whitewater passes, it's 15 bucks, but hey, you know. Imagine there's a guy out here in the yard with unlimited money. He's handing out $100,000 to anybody who walks out there and just says hi to him. And I go out, I say hi, I pocket $100,000, and I walk in and look at you guys, never say a word. Who's a jerk? I am a jerk, Right? It wouldn't cost me anything to say, William, hey, out there is a guy. I don't know why. He's insane or something. Um, one time we had a rich guy visit us at a, uh, we had a chapel down at Washington Baptist University. This rich guy visited us. And at the end, at the end of his presentation, he had handed out salvation tracts to all of us. At the end of his salvation tract spill, he says, by the way, he said, if you see someone throwing their salvation tract in the trash, you need to dig it out. There's $20 in every single one of them. And everyone laughed. And then about 10 seconds later, everyone gasped. Because there was 20 bucks in every single one of them. They said he donated over $30,000 to the school that day by giving each student 20 bucks. But my girlfriend at the time had given me the flu. So guess who wasn't at chapel? This guy. So guess who didn't get 20 bucks? This guy. Guess who could have used 20 bucks? This guy, right? I was angry. So she felt bad and gave me $10. And then she was a missionary in China. In Acts 
chapter 16, there's this story of this miracle that happens. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. The back story here is Paul and Silas have been arrested for preaching Jesus. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. Man, wouldn't you just love it? Like one day we're just worshiping and all of a sudden just there's an earthquake. Okay, just me. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open. Y'all, this stuff really happened. This is not mythology we're reading about here. This happened. This was the way men of God handled situations 2,000 years ago. Men, it's time for us to rise up. It says, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul told Silas, let's get out of here as fast as we can. But Paul told Silas, let's just wait and let this joker do his thing and then we'll be free. Because no one will chase us if the jailer is dead. No, what happened? But Paul cried with a loud voice. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. For we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. Say, believe in the Lord Jesus. Say, believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, praise God, he and his family. And he brought them up in the house and he gave them food and they were rejoicing because the whole entire house believed in God. There's this thing where at some point, because you're a friend to someone, and what does Jesus say a friend is? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Where they're like, like you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, oh yeah, who's my neighbor? And that Jesus' answer to that is, everyone's your neighbor, even the people that you hate. And so here's Paul and Silas, they're sitting in prison, and this jailer is about to kill himself, and Paul says, stop, stop. And it leads to the salvation of this man. Ladies and gentlemen, we have friends that need Jesus Christ. And they might not have a sword aimed at their hearts, trying to take their own life, but they're doing other things that hurt themselves on a, on a daily or weekly basis. They need Jesus, and we say nothing. They need Christ. Their hope is Christ, and we keep our mouth silent. And just like 
the man who wouldn't warn you if the bridge was out or not alert you if the hurricane was coming or the man who would keep his mouth shut as you're about to commit suicide. It would be just as immoral for us to keep our mouths closed while the world is going to hell. We need to be saved. I need to be saved. The scripture tells us in Romans chapter 3, it says there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so you might think, no, I was actually pretty good before Jesus uh, before I met Jesus. And I would say you don't rightly understand your condition. Because even, even our best righteousness on our own, the Scripture says, is nothing but poop before the Lord. But look how great it is. Ladies and gentlemen, before Christ, you were dead. You were dead. It says over in Ephesians somewhere. I think it's 2. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin to whence you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience amongst it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all lost. We were all dead. We were all under the wrath of God. And you say, Pastor Drew, I thought God was a God of mercy, not a God of wrath. And I'm going to tell you this morning, those are the same thing. God's mercy and His wrath are the same thing. His wrath is against the sin that we live in our own lives. It says we were dead. It echoes that in Colossians. It says we were dead in our sins. And so you think, you might think that you're a Christian today because you accepted Christ. And I would tell you that that doesn't seem to be biblical. You're a Christian today because God called you. Dead people can't accept anything. The thing about dead people is they're dead. Think about it. This morning we prayed for people to be healed and the amount of faith it takes if a blind man would have walked in and we would have laid hands on him to see. Now, first of all, some of you would think well, you're just wasting your time. And I would say, just like we heard this morning, no, we're going to be obedient to what we feel like God has called us to be obedient to. And the outcome is dependent on God. But if he's called us to lay hands on the blind that they may see, we're going to lay hands on the blind. Or if someone couldn't hear, we're going to lay hands on their ears that they can hear. But what about raising the dead? Y'all, you guys, like, a dead person's also, I guess, technically blind and deaf too. Um, Right? Nothing's going on. Can you imagine today if I said, okay, this is your homework assignment from today's sermon. I want you to go out to the cemetery 
and raise someone from the dead. Now, first of all, some of our guests are like, what kind of church did I just walk into? Here's my question. If, if that really was something you were going to do this afternoon, who would you bring with you? What would you bring with you? You know what? I'm going to bring a really good message. Like, I'm going to make sure I have a really, really good message. I need a really good worship team. If I have a really good worship team, then maybe someone can come back from the dead. What we don't realize that for someone to be raised physically from the dead and spiritually from the dead is, is the same greatness and magnitude of miracle. It's as much of a miracle for someone to become spiritually alive as it is for them to be physically alive. And so my question to you this morning then is if our calling as believers is to reach the spiritually dead, how are you going to do it this morning? You're going to make sure you have a really good sermon, a really good spiel? Man, if we just get them into our church and let them hear our worship team, that'll bring them to spiritual life. I'm telling you, none of it will happen without the moving of the Holy Spirit upon their hearts. Jesus said, he said, hey, I want you guys to look at something out here. See the fields? They're ready to be harvested. They're ready. Pray for the laborers to be sent. And then it says, then he kicked them out and forced them to be the answer to their own prayer. It says he ejected them. It says sent in your Bible because your Bible's trying to be nice. It means like get out. He ejected them. Get out into that harvest. Go get somebody. And it says they finally came back and they were excited. They were excited because God had been using them in powerful ways. And then Jesus is like, wait a minute. Yeah, that's cool and all. But here's what's really exciting is that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Like that you are saved. That you have been redeemed. That you are now spiritually alive. Go to John. Chapter 3. Jesus is talking to one of these religious leaders, and they're, they're sneaking around at night talking because... This religious leader, I don't think he wants to be seen with Jesus. And in verse 3, Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which is just crazy. Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This morning I'm speaking to a room of people, many of whom have been born again. Many who have experienced that second birth. And can I tell you something? To explain the second birth to someone is as foreign to them as it was to Nicodemus hearing about it. Like, this doesn't make sense. How can I, like, go back into my mom's womb and then get born again? This doesn't make sense to me. Why do I need your Jesus? Why do I need your religion? Why do I need what you have? And we feel like sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, we feel like we need a compelling argument. Like, I need to be able to argue you into the kingdom of God. Like, Pastor Drew, I would tell them about Jesus, but I'm not sure what to say. And Jesus, he had an answer for this. He said, here's the thing. I've given you the Holy Spirit, and he will tell you what to say at the right time and the right moment. You just have to listen. And we make up so many excuses. The bridge is out, and people are on their way to destruction. They're on their way. But when, guys, we know that there's, a, there's an Another highway with a better path. It's narrow. It's narrow. Sometimes it's it's a tough path. Jesus, he he says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And few find it. And if feel like in the church in America today what we want to do is we're like look look how wide our way is like if we can just make our church more comfortable if we can just get the right seats or the right temperature the right sound the right sign like let's do everything we can to make the way as wide as possible when Jesus is saying come and follow me And it's going to cost you everything. You'll have to die to truly live. We we don't we don't need anything besides the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our friends don't need anything from us. They don't need you to have a really well put together presentation of the gospel. Although it would be nice if you knew a really good presentation of the gospel. Our friends need Jesus. Like our friends need Jesus. And some of us, for some reason, I don't know where along the way, we stopped caring about that. We stopped caring that our coworkers need Jesus. We stopped caring that even some of the people living in our own household need Jesus They're dead, and they need to be brought to life. They need that miracle of God. We go to school with people who need Jesus. Close your eyes for just a moment. Who do you know? that needs freedom in their life. They don't know God. They don't have freedom. 
ladies and gentlemen, my, my, my goal this morning isn't to guilt you into feeling bad for not bringing people to church. My heart for this morning is for us to realize that we were once those people. We were once dead. We were once objects of wrath. And the, the creator of the universe, he, he drew us in and he used people to do it. That one day someone spoke to us a word and resonated within our spirit and the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of our heart and we were lost and then we were found. We were living in darkness and then the light of the Lord came upon us and one moment we were completely and forever changed. And that we have friends and loved ones who need the Lord. See, this morning I was hoping to finish my sermon series from the message on the mount, but as I was praying, I just felt like, I felt like, Drew, do you even care that some of your coworkers, if they died today, would spend eternity without Christ? Drew, do you even care that some of your coworkers are going through a difficulty right now today? Not, let's not even talk about eternity. Today, they're living today without Christ. And I know for Drew, on days that I don't lean into Christ, how hard those days can be. And I'm saved. How much more so for someone who doesn't have any revelation of the good and loving God, who desires relationship with them, who desires to bring them hope and life. And so we have Friend Day coming up here in two weeks, and then we have Crud Wars coming up for our youth the, the following Wednesday. And, and yeah, we're going to have dinner on the grounds that day, right, on Friend Day. And, and y'all, I'm really, really excited to eat some really good food with you guys on Friend Day. Can I tell you something? Friend Day isn't for you. Friend day's for your friend. Now, if your friend doesn't come, we still want you to come because you're my friend. Right? Like, I don't have a friend. I'm going to stay home for friend day. Now, you come. But we have to be a church who understands that the message of the gospel is meant to be spoken how, how are they going to believe, the Scripture says, unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless they're sent? Like, this is us. This is our job. It is our job. It is on Drew. And I, it's on Drew to preach the gospel, not just to this room, but to people who are in my life on a daily basis. When I, when I go to the gym and I work out, when I go to the store and I'm buying my milk, when I'm at my job and I'm trying to make copies, like, it is my job to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ to every person who comes up to me because the bridge is out and I know a better way. I'm, I'm terribly excited about Friend Day because I'm, I look around this room
it's, it's tough because some of you have testimonies that you've shared with the whole group. And some of you have very personal testimonies that you've shared with just a very small, small amount of people. And I've had the privilege to hear part of your testimony. And what's so cool is that in every single testimony, you can see how God used another person to speak life into them, right? And, and I look around, and, and it's easy sometimes when you're in ministry to get discouraged, like, man, are we even making a difference? And then you look around the room, and you see specific people and specific things. You think of certain moments when that person was at their wits' end, and you got a chance to speak life into them. Or maybe it wasn't even you, another church member came in and they were like, hey, I know you're having a hard day and they brought hope to their life or they were just in need. They just had a, a need maybe in their body or in their finance or something. We were able to minister to them and you're like, okay, so we're doing something here. But it's not for the glory of Ephop, all things for the glory of God. And so y'all, we're doing something right here. But the, the thing that we can do the most right is tell people about Jesus and what he did on the cross, taking all of our sin and all our shame and how he rose from the dead. Y'all, Jesus is alive today. Jesus is alive and more than that, he's coming back again. And if we can just get our head around that, that Jesus is alive and he's coming back again, I think it would excite us a little bit to do something like we've never done before. And, man, I, I don't like messages like these because they're not organized at all. Um, some of you are like, yeah, I kind of gathered that. It's fine. But the passion of my heart, the cry deep inside of me, is that we would find lost people and tell them about Jesus. That we would see people that are taking the sword and they're about to take their own life and we're stopping them. We're crying out to them, wait, I have hope, I have good news. And some people are going to listen to you. Some people are going to spit in your face. Praise God. Jesus is going to do a work. Jesus is going to be glorified. Um, Robert, will you come up? And everyone, would you stand up? And this is what I want us to do. I want you to pray for your friend. Your friend needs Jesus. One, our friends will spend eternity in hell without God unless they find Jesus. Two, our friends can know heaven now not after that you can know heaven now you can know god now you can live in the fullness of life now if you meet jesus if you come to know him as savior and lord some of you have friends that jesus is savior but he isn't lord of their life they need to be here on friend day and i promise i'll have an organized message that i didn't just Someone told me about Jesus once, and it changed my life. 
So let's take a moment and let's pray for those who don't know Christ. And then let's take another moment and pray for the laborers that they would be sent. Can we pray? Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.